0: welcome to the jeff gross podcast this episode is brought to you in partnership with party poker go to Partypoker.com to play tournaments cash games and improve your poker game make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes daniel how are you i'm doing great man yeah can't complain i mean a lot of people in the world going through a lot of stuff and you know knock on wood we're uh we're doing great over here in vegas uh, I, I love to hear it. And, and again, not to, uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on COVID or whatnot, but how has just real quick, how has your COVID been? Your years have been much different. Have you been, you know, obviously you've been busy doing challenges and whatnot. How has your last year been different than say the, the previous few years? So I'm a unique human being. And so is my wife, which is great in that, you know, we don't really need a lot of human
1: interaction. I mean, and you get plenty off Zoom or whatever. Like we're not guys that we're not, we're not people that go out to the clubs and party and restaurants. Like we're both homebodies. So this kind of like, suited us just fine and you know we're newly married and you know for some people they say well if you spend that much time with somebody one of two things is going to happen if lucky luckily for us because we're so like-minded you know we just grew closer and closer you know so it'll probably be weird when we start leaving because we did the quarantine like full like I, I don't go anywhere in the last full year i've left my house under 10 times you know we just don't go anywhere and that's you know whatever i'm not judging people that do i'm just saying for us we decided like. Go hard on the, on the on the home grind, and it's been good. Like honestly, I keep myself busy. I've always got challenges, like you said, whether it's chess or poker or heads up, or I've always got something going on.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, th- I think uh, that that that's fair to say that you know, I think in general, poker players are you know I think we're we're a little less uh, affected than by most and being at home and on the computer, being able to play online or do your normal normal sort of routines. Uh, let, let's dive right into the upcoming. Phil Helmy battle. I know you've talked on it. It's been a hot topic. It's coming. Can you give a little bit of the details, the format? What's What's that about? There's a lot of discussion on, honestly, I think this is the most exciting out of all these feuds and, and duels and whatnot. I just feel like you two are some of the original, original pillars. Uh, there's some, you know, fre- you're fresh off the Doug Polk match, which was obviously you know, a tough matchup, but you, you've spent a lot of time. You're immersed in it and, and obviously have, uh, you know, you're dialed in on heads up. So what is, give me a little bit of uh, the details and, and how you're feeling on this.
1: Okay, so let me give you the background here on this one because it's really confusing. I think a lot of people have it. They don't get how this all happened. First of all, this was not concocted. This wasn't like, oh, let's create something, you know, out of nowhere. I had no intentions of playing Phil Home, right? Then he went on a podcast and said the following. He did not like the way that I played against Doug, but also didn't see a single hand of the match, right? So it's like someone saying, you know, oh, that movie Jaws, that was terrible. Did you see it? No. So how do you know, right? So he started coming at me for saying I should do this, and this, and he just said a lot of things that didn't make any sense, right? right? So I'm like, all right, you want to play me? Or do you want to play me the same match as I played against Doug? Uh, and then, we, you know, we started having some back and forths or whatever. So for, so for those that are saying, like, I just randomly came after Phil, that's not how it happened. He came at me first. I came back with some truth not, truth bombs on me, right? Phil Helmuth, no question about it. Prolific World Series of Poker record. You know, he's been the most successful at that format. What's important to, di- to distinguish though is the high rollers of today is the major leagues of poker where all the top players are, right? Those guys should be celebrated as the best players in the world because they're the ones working the hardest 10, wow. 12 hours a day, grinding with the solvers, all this kind of stuff. And Phil kind of poops them and has this idea that his white magic or whatever is still like good enough to compete. And I offered him a bet. He said, Oh, first of all, he says, you well, give me this bet. I say, okay, backtrack, give me this bet. Okay, backtrack. So every time it comes to like, put your money where your big mouth is, he cowers. So I put on Twitter a little spat about, okay, he has all this, I've finished this and this and this. I'm like, all right, well let's break down what you've done in these high rollers. Okay. Cause you always point to results as being like, you know, proof that you're good. And in the high roller, he doesn't have any results. Like he's, he's, he's cashed a few times. Sure. But not one single top three in a 25 K or above, you know, like in, in the no limit hold'em sphere. So He's just really good at selling this notion. But I think it's, this, I think it's insulting to – and I don't know that he means to me because I don't think he is. He's not a bad guy. I like Phil a lot. Right. But it is insulting to the Jason Coons and the Stephen Chidwicks. Whether they're insulted or not, it's kind of ridiculous to say some guy who's in his 50s who you know doesn't study at all anything is at the level of the guys who spend 12 hours a day. It's just delusional but also I think extremely insulting personally.
0: Right. Yeah. It's interesting because I've heard some, you know, I follow along and I'm looking at some of the Twitter comments and some people think that's like, it's almost like it's like not genuine. They're like, oh, this is whatever the matchup. Like you and Phil have an interesting relationship, I would say, because like I know you guys both pretty well. And I believe you guys are, you know, you're friendly and do have respect for each other. And what you mean, you guys are, again, you're one of the pillars of poker to your point about. Uh, the, the 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 to like the the new guys and then the generation the high rollers that are putting a lot of work and doing the solvers. So I don't think this is like a matter of not liking Phil or not whatever. It just sort of you're making a point. And you're putting your money where your mouth is and making a statement about what you believe. So how would you actually describe your your relationship? Say you know with poker respect, but also off the table. Like what's, what is your guys' actual relationship?
1: Well let's 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 bring it. He's been to both my weddings. Okay, he's been at both my weddings. I love Phil Hellman. Now, it's important to distinguish the difference, right? I love this guy. He's my favorite guy to play against. I think this is going to be a fun challenge. But it's like, you know, boys will be boys, right? And we're going to argue. We're going to disagree. And when he starts spewing all this stuff about how he's the greatest today, currently, it's hot. It's nonsense. But it's weird. Like, we live in a world now where people are so sensitive, like, oh! How could you suggest that he's not the greatest of all time? That might hurt his feelings. Give me a fucking break, okay? He's a man. He comes out there and he toots his own horn and says all this shit. So, okay, let's come back with something. If he didn't say all this stuff that's like out there, you know, that he's the best and all this kind of stuff, if he didn't say all this shit, nobody would attack him for anything. They would applaud him because his World Series of Poker record is great. So, the difference is this you can like somebody. But you can also call him and go, dude, you're full of shit right now. Okay. And like literally, none of the, so much of the stuff that he, that comes out of his mouth is just caught garbage. Right. And, but here's the thing there's so many people that don't know that. The average person, like, how dare you say, I get get tweets, how dare you say he's not the greatest poker player of all time. It's like, I've been a poker player for 20 years and I fucking know. Okay. Everybody in the community that actually plays the high stakes, they know. Everyone has respect for the record that he's created in World Series poker. But they would also welcome him to come play in their games or come play in the high rollers because, you know, he's not as good as them, period. That's it. But like Phil is a master marketer and, you know, he, it's important to him to sell this narrative that he's still number one in the world. I'm like, buddy, you're number one in bracelets. And that's true. But as far as poker goes today, if there's 30 people playing and I picked the other 29, you ain't going to beat them. Okay. Right. you ain't going to beat them, bro.
0: Period. Well, let me, let me, so let me just understand. Is there two, two bets going? There's the, the, the format. Is it essentially the exact same Antonio? And Phil played, is, it, is this the one that you're playing? And then there's also a bet about 25K high rollers over 50. Are both of those in, in action or what, what are the two, what is going on? What's officially the bets right now?
1: So officially we're playing the high stakes duel, which as you saw against Antonio, the way that it works is, you know, you play a match, but whoever loses is entitled to a rematch. And then I think one more rematch for double the stakes. So you go 50K, 100K, 200K. I've also got side bets on that myself where I laid, I think on poker shares, I laid it. Well, I laid with other people. I laid minus 150 on myself to win this match because it is, you know, for it's not that deep. It's not like it's a sit and go, so anything can happen. But it's pretty right. deep. And I think, like, really, really deep it's a problem for him. As for the other bet, on the podcast, he said he agreed to it. And, of course, he does what he did, which is backtrack. I offered 400000 to his 200000 that he could play, had to play 50 events of 25K buying or bigger at the Aria with all the crushers and killers. And he, all he had to do was show a $1 profit. That's right. it. Okay? How much time is that going to take him? Who I don't care. You know what? I told him. Take as much time as you need. Just post. Post the 200K. If you cash and you win the bet, you get 600K back. But I'm not going to wait because at first he says, well, I said, well, how long do you need? He said, 10 years. 10 years to play 50 (laughs) tournaments, bro. It's like, okay. If you want 10 years, you got to post, right? There's just no way. So I offered it. I don't think he's going to buy it, but I'm going to needle him about it um, in the broadcast. And I'm honestly giving him a good deal because I'm giving him two to one odds. And in tournament poker, there is variance, okay? So my suggestion is he's so much worse. And I'm, I'm, I'm being real. Like, this isn't personally attacking him. He's so much worse than them, so much worse, that him winning one out of 50, even though there's 20, 30 players, is incredibly unlikely. He late regs. Max late reg starts with 10 big blinds, plays a kind of a conservative style in a lot of spots. And then here's the problem. It's not like tournaments of the old days where a couple of pros and, like, seven or eight amateurs. When you get down to five-handed, who are you looking at? Dalian Shirovich, Jason Kuhn, Stephen Chidwick, Jake Schindler. You go good luck, bro. I mean, good luck fucking white magicing that field that you know I'm saying. Right, so, right. so you can cash by playing that type. But then how are you going to finish against that crew? Again, luck plays a role. So I'm giving him two to one odds, which is a really good deal. You know, he might even be getting the best of that. I just want to see. I want him to experience what it's like to play against players at the highest level rather than hide out in camps where he does, which is like, Oh, the 1,500 you know, World Series of Poker events, which I love. I love playing them. I'm a huge World Series of Poker fan. But, like, that's not the major leagues, bro. Like, most of those high level roller players, they don't spend time in the 1,500s. That's not doesn't mean they're less prestigious or whatever. But, like, you really want to test yourself and say you're the best. Guess what? you got to beat the best, right? You can't be uh, a minor league pitcher with the best record and say, I'm the best pitcher in the world. Oh, yeah? How are you going to do against the real batters in the, in the major leagues? Let's see, bro. Yeah.
0: And I love that. Love that. And I think, I it, think it, 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 oh I got an echo here. I don't know why that's doing that, but I, I just try to understand where you yourself like what has changed for you in the last few years because you are you know from the Antonio Spandiari uh, Ivy yeah, Helmuth you guys are like I, I'd say you guys are like the four pillars of course you could Mitt Doyle and all these legends of poker right that have been around but like in terms of the most you know note that have been active and around, you know, how have you found yourself to kind of between an ambassador and staying up with the game? Because like, have you noticed a shift in that in the last few years? I know you've been working hard on your game, you've done some studying because it's easy to be complacent. You're, you're the face of major brands. You get paid a salary. You're kind of like, you're an ambassador. So like you could, you, did you find yourself getting lazy at one point? And did you just say at one point, did you wake up and say, wow, these guys are really good, the best in the world. And I don't want to just be an ambassador. I want to, you know, take my game back to be at the top. Did you have like an epiphany or a moment that, that kind of clicked for you on that? Or is that just your competitive nature that you want to be? Make sure that you're, yeah. you know, you're doing your best at all times when you're playing. So, like, what, what so first and
1: foremost, I don't want to be an ambassador because I find that word obnoxious. I actually ambassador. What, 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 what am I going to go to freaking world leaders in Iran and Iraq and say, okay, the here we're going to make a treaty. I'm going to yeah. make peace in the Middle East. Yeah. I get it. I get what you're saying.
0: Right. But what, what would you like to be called? Because I mean, you, I think that would be you are you are the poker kind of ambassador. That's a, that, I get it. That word is a bit wild. Like it's a bit it, over just a little off. bit like. It's self respect, much. You know? I agree. So, what? Let's connect with the ambassador
1: for the GG Poker.
0: You know, like what would be? What would you like to be referred to as, or what do you believe you are, or whatever? I mean, what do you? What would you call yourself then, though?
1: Call me Beefy Sausage. I don't know. Whatever you want. I don't care. All
0: right. So forget the title. But you know what I'm saying. At what point was yeah. it like? Well, yeah, I was going
1: to get to So for me, throughout my career, this is the difference I think between me and a lot of people from my generation, because very few people from my generation. have have like staying power. You know, the Phil Ives, like you mentioned, Eric Seidel's, but a lot of these guys fell to the wayside because a, you know, a lack of self-awareness and arrogance and thinking that like, they've got the game figured out and all these young whippersnappers don't know what they're doing. I remember distinctly being in a world series of poker event, playing with Brad Doherty and Tom McAvoy and a lot of these guys. And they're all complaining about how bad, you know, the young kids play or whatever. I'm like, you guys suck in comparison. So I was that 22 year old kid who was new on the scene, who was hungry who was, you know, in the late 90s, working with like, you know, sort of advanced strategies that I kind of create on my own. I didn't learn them on a trading site, like small ball and bet sizing. I sort of took that in by watching other people and stuff like that and sort of created a system for how that works. And now everybody sort of extrapolated on that and expanded. But I've always thought to myself, from that moment, I never want to be that old guy who sits at the table and complains about how these young guys don't know how to play poker. Okay. Instead, I was always willing to learn. Way back in 2010, I said, listen, maybe these games online are super tough. I went and played one and 200 online. Started out first month, three games, like wait list, 50, 60 people long. By the end of the month, I'm playing three-handed because I got better, right? Uh, I took on some I took on some coaching with the guys from hybrid, uh, MJ and Matt, uh, a few years ago. Started doing really, really well again. And, you know, in the high rollers, I worked with them, of course, in the heads up. That didn't go as well as we would have liked. But I've always thought it's important every six months, a year to two years, sort of, Take it. Actually, I remember another moment at the poker masters, Stefan Sondheimer. And, uh, um, well, he was, he was talking to one of his friends and they were discussing a hand and they were speaking about it in a way that I was like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Like, what is this combos? And then, like, I didn't even know. They're like, well, you don't have any combos of queen 10 I'm like, what do you mean? I don't, what do you mean? I don't, what does that mean? I don't have any comp what is, what is a combo, right? Like, so, I mean, I'm at this place and I'm like thinking like, Holy smokes, man, they break the game. Now, and obviously that's just one epiphany. Um, you know, and I've heard about solvers and blah, blah, blah. But I've always felt like instead of having that arrogant view, which is where we, me and Phil are different, that you know everything. Because, like, this is what he always tell, tells people. He says to people, those coaches, they came to me, and I liked a lot of their philosophies, but what could I possibly learn? So I sent them to Daniel. It's his way of, like, sort of, like, talk. Well, Daniel, little Daniel needs coaches, but I don't. Like, could you imagine getting to a place where you think you know everything? Tiger Woods, maybe the greatest golfer ever. He had a coach throughout his entire career. He actually was willing to make swing changes. He was winning tournaments by seven, eight strokes and said, you know what? I'm going to change my swing to get better. Phil makes this claim that he thinks I would do better if I didn't always advance my game and pick up on the new thing. I've cashed for over $20 million in the last five years, right? Playing in these high roles. I've actually been profitable against some of you know, the wizards and geniuses. And a big reason for that is because of the updates. If I could play myself today versus the version of me in 2004, in 2004, I crushed everything. Right. Having said that, if I played that guy, I would crush him because, sure, in 2004, I was better than everybody else that I was playing with. But everybody else got better. And I have, too. So being stagnant is just never something I've ever been comfortable with. So right. uh, it, it was it wasn't a moment of like there was never a moment where I'm like, OK, God, you know, you suck. I never thought that. But I was always like, all right, well, you know what? Get back in the lab, bro.
0: You've You've got work to do. Yeah, it's, uh, it's powerful to be able to take that and, and make that decision. And I I honestly, like out of all the, you know, Doug and you, there was like this real feud. I felt a little bit of a bromance after that first live session. I kind of thought this would happen because obviously you guys are both super smart. You're both, you know, two of the best players in the game. I There's there's obviously some respect there. How, how does that, you know, forget the how the match overall and everything. Like how do you feel your relationship with Doug is before and after? Have you did you guys kind of amended? It seems friendly. You now, of course, there's a little bit of shots here and there, but are you guys like, would you consider that, that that this challenge brought you guys to like have a, a more of a mutual respect for each other and kind of smash, if you would, the feud is the way it was titled? Like, how has how that relationship sort of progressed over that challenge?
1: Yeah, no question about it. I mean, it cost me $1.2 million to get a, a troll off my back, but, <laughs> but it worked. Like literally today, this morning, I was texting with him. So, you know, we still stay in contact, talk a little bit about poker here and there occasionally. You know, we actually went over some solves from the Limitless Fedor match together. So, That's yeah. Cool. I think, you know, what's interesting about Doug, and I look back and I think, you know, one of the things you do is you try to grow and look at like, okay, what what decisions did I make in the past that I could have done differently or could have done better? And I think one with him specifically sticks out where everything would have been different in terms of a relationship. Because we actually have a lot in common. You know, there's a lot we do, you know, we disagree on maybe on poker stuff, but we actually have a decent amount in common, right? Neither of us is gonna win a contest for like most humble. It's just not gonna happen. Okay, whether he wants to whether he wants to say so or not, right? Um, but he's also he's outspoken he says what he believes. He doesn't really give a shit. Well, I would say this. He cares what people think for sure, but it doesn't stop him from saying or doing what he believes is true. Right. So here's what I would have done differently. Going back when he started out, you know, with his career, you know, uh, making videos and stuff like that. He did some, some videos that were like out of line, like out of line about people with, you know, using the, the wrong kind of clickbaity titles or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what I should have done at that point was actually just went to him. Cause like I'm older, you know, I've been around like, I should have went to him and be like, dude, you know, this great, you're doing this kind of stuff. But like, stay away from this. There's no reason to smash a guy's name for no reason. Like, you don't need that. Like, your quality your, quality, your quality is good enough. You know, your your content's so good, right? You don't need yeah. to smash people to, to feel good about your or to, to elevate yourself. And I wish I would have had that conversation. And instead, well, because he came after one of my boys, Jason Mercer, right? And he came at him pretty hard for no reason. And I was like, what the fuck? Who is this guy? So instead of an olive branch or a discussion with a young kid who's trying to make a name for himself, I... Uh, I sort of, uh, I declared, I mean, like like a mini, like, no, fuck you. You're not, you know, we're not, we're not cool. Um, And that's something that I guess with age and wisdom, you learn, right? You're like, all right, you have beefs and shit in your twenties and thirties, but as you get older, you got to like, you just got to push that behind us. So now I would say one of the, sometimes you got to say like two guys, like in hockey, right? Two guys in hockey, they fight. They literally just fight on the ice and pound each other. And then later that night you see them in a restaurant sharing a beer, you know, the same guys who just beat the shit out of each other. I guess in some sense, like, Boys will be boys and hashing it out the way we did. Um, Again, the result wasn't what I wanted, but in that regard, it was because it uh, I think it's squashed it. Like he said, you know, going forward, he's not going to, you know, attack me personally. If I say stuff that's stupid or whatever, he'll make a video. That's fine. No
0: problem. But Uh uh, as far as like attacking my character and things like that, I don't think I think those days are over. Right. That, yeah, it's good. Now, Doug's a very polarizing character and, and someone also who is, he's, he's a guy too, though. Like I, I'm back in the day starting YouTube would talk with him and, you know, kind of goes out of his way. He's, I could tell he's a nice guy and he has people kind of either, he's a polarizing figure. And, and he, like you said, though, he, he kind of goes where he believes right like he does says what he's he's gonna say and he believes what he believes and uh, i think you got most people do ultimately respect him for that but uh looking back at that competition though what with the final result variants you know you could plug numbers and do stuff what do you believe like do you think that how it was set and with the line do you think that you you feel like you got it would have been if you did this again how do you, do you think it would be similar do you think you might it might be a little different result or, or what would be your biggest you know, thing you might do again if you were to do, would you do it again? Or would you do it on, again under different circumstances? Or was this just a yeah. good work experience? Yeah, no, it's
1: certainly something I would do again. You know, and I think obviously because I had a long, I had a, you know, a steep learning curve, right, from, from day one to the uh, end of the match a couple months later. So obviously, whatever the line was to start for our first duel, if we were to do a rematch, the line is going to be smaller, despite the fact that he won. Because what people don't really realize is how much variance plays a role, especially in that right. matches, and how significant that can be. Uh, I'm not suggesting, by any stretch of the imagination, that the only reason I lost was luck. That's not true. I do believe that variance wasn't on my side in a lot of specific areas that were really important for what I was trying to accomplish. Um, but, but but hey, I'm sure he'll point to some places where he was unlucky, or whatever the case may be. Bottom line is that doesn't matter. What matters is if I were to do it over, I would require more time. Because here's the thing: I had about four weeks to crunch four or five years worth of you know information, right. and I did the best I could but I was learning on the go, right? So when I started the challenge, I was limited really by my coaches to two bet sizes, either 20% pot or 75% pot. Now, if you could be a GTO bot and do that perfectly, you'd win, but I'm not a GTO bot and it's limiting because you're actually costing yourself value in a lot of spots, right? Certain spots, you know, you wanna be betting one and a half times pot. I'm only betting 75% because it's the best I can do. And there's also no middle size, right? So, okay, well, this hand is in a 20. Well, this hand, you know, feels like it should be more than 20, but not as much as 75. Well, I got to pick, you know, so it was much more difficult. But as I started to progress in the match, I started to, you know, develop more sizes. And I think I got, you know, more difficult to play against. So, um, yeah, I think if anything, if I were to play somebody again, I would just make sure that I had the time to put in before, you know, day one of the match rather than like,
0: you know, sort of get into my stride halfway through. Right. Well, I I do have to kind of point out because the line I think is super interesting with uh, with filling yourself. And just to clarify how many hands and you said it's deeper, but it is the same amount. It's not a lot of hands. So there is going to be some variance, but you are playing a deeper uh format that you know how and and you do you, you said you believe you're about a two to one favorite or maybe like 60 40 what do you think the line is for you that you think well so? the actual betting line has me about minus 164 and him about plus 145 or
1: something that's what the pay- poker shares line is i bet myself because i think i'm better than that especially right. the
0: first match i wonder like maybe you know in the second or third if it would lessen I- or the I got to show this because first of all, it's a sick promo. Second of all, you can't, it's sort of like those bets. Like when Phelps swam the shark on, you know, I don't know if you saw that on TV, but it was like, you knew who was going to win, but it was like a small bet, like a promo. I got, I got to just show it guys. If you got 500 bucks lying around Daniel, I'm going to, I'm going to go over here. Look at this, look at this line. What do you think of this? This is uh, d negs, uh, Phil Helmuth minus minus one sixty four on uh Stake stars. So uh, that is a, uh, that is a pretty, pretty wild line. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it says I'm minus minus one sixty four, right? No, Helmut is minus one sixty four. You're plus one forty five. But again, it's not a massive bet. I think you can bet up to five hundred. So I am getting. I listen. I, I love both you guys. It's going to be fun. But I'll tell you that with you in the matrix on heads up and getting plus one forty five, I am. I'm going to be. I'm going to be capitalized on that bet. You you like that line, don't you? Well, that bet will get either taken down very quickly, or it will get it will be sold out
1: because there was a site, an Australian site, who did open Phil as the favorite like minus 150 or something. And like they took in so much action on me that they took the, bo- they took betting on me off the board. So you could only bet on Phil. You couldn't bet on me if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't know. And this is kind of part, part and parcel of what I was discussing earlier about how, you know, gen pop general public, they don't know who the best players are. They just know what, you know, they know what's been sort of marketed to them through the yeah. ESPN and videos and, you know, all oh, the great, you know, like okay so is it true that phil homie has 15 world series of poker bracelets more than anybody else absolutely absolutely true now the question is what does it mean underneath that right it means he's had the best results the world series of poker Mm -hmm. what the mistake people make is me is saying that okay because of that that means he's the best player in the world where the best players in the world may have not even played chip reese chip reese didn't even play any tournaments how many how many bracelets do you think chip reese would have had playing back in the day
0: instead of playing the high stakes cash games if he was playing the the, the tournaments every day. You'd yeah. probably have 20. Yeah, it's a, it's a super interesting point. And yeah, it's a, it, it is a, it's a hard, it's kind of a hard thing. And I, I just think this one, I have a feeling this seems to be a new thing these days. People challenge you other. You know, heads up matches or you go box, right? You go MMA, you box in the ring. And so, you know, this is, this will be fun. I actually have not really watched the, the other ones. Like, I, even though I found it interesting, I saw some highlights. Like, I am, I'm going to be glued to this one. I think it's just going to be really fun to watch. And, and when is it going to take, It starts next is the next week and then goes until when or how many, it's going to be a one
1: day thing. And I can give you this sort of an outline of the structure. You will be able to watch it on poker go exclusively on March 16th. Okay. And the structure is, like I said, you know, it's there, there are rematches, but we're going to start with 500 big blinds, 500. Okay. And we're going to play that for 30 minutes. And then we're going to play playing 330 big blinds. deep. So we've got about three hours ish of play where he's going to be facing me 100 plus big ones deep which is like pretty pretty deep so my well the way that I want to approach this match is like I want it to be I don't want it to be close in any way shape or form like my expectation is not to just win the match not to just get the best of the match not to just get best of every hand but every street of every hand like I want to play flawlessly obviously that's not going to happen because you know mistakes are going to be made but I really feel like I have I'm the worst matchup he could ever imagine because I have such a good sort of strategy against a player like him that uh i expect i want it to i want him to feel it i want him to feel the frustration deep inside it's like wow how the hell can i possibly win now i want him to i want him to feel it because when he you know what happens when he feels that frustration we get the epic helmuth rants so my goal is to you know make
0: a show by by having helmuth get out of his chair at least five times uh, I love it. I mean, listen, Dan, I did watch some of the Daniel. I saw a bit of it. with I'm sorry, uh, Antonio Helmuth. And I saw how popular it was. I have a feeling this might be the most watched, some of the most watched poker content ever. I mean, this is just, it just feels like there's just so much that's so, it, it's just fun. It's going to be a fun one to sweat and see how it plays out. And, you know, I think, uh, do you think Phil is studying? Do you think he knows, you know, he knows your coaches? I know them too. You know, uh, very, very guys that are very capable and, and know their stuff and and it's exciting to to think that you think Phil you maybe got him back in the lab you think he's doing any work do you think he's just gonna go and he's informed he says he's 18 out of 20 or you know winning or this and that and, and he's confident in how he plays do you think he's gonna do any kind of work on his game from now until when it starts? Well first and
1: foremost, zero. He will do no work on his game. Secondly most importantly he doesn't even know where to start right so like imagine you're you're gonna ask like okay I'm gonna go work on my game. What would he do? He's going to talk to Mike Matisseau and talk to Brandy Cantu and run hands by them or strategies or ideas. Like if that's his version of like working on his game, then, you know, bring it because that's not going to really hurt me. He's so averse to the idea of like any sort of game theory principles or whatever, because he believes in what he does. Because like you said, he will first, it was 28 out of 30 matches. Now it's 17 out of 19. It's 26. He, He comes with these numbers just like right out of his ass. You know, I won 38 out of 39 sessions of this and that and blah, blah, blah. Again, he's a salesman. He's selling this idea that all he does is win, win, win no matter what. On March 16th, that ain't going to happen, bro. He's not going to be winning. He is going to feel it. It is going to feel bad. He is going to feel some frustration, to say the least. Wow, we'll I, I got it. so
0: I got so much love for both you guys. I'll tell you what, on that line though, I will have to. I'm, I am wagering and You guys can. I'm putting it on. I'm putting it on you, at the, especially at that price. I think that's kind of crazy. Anyway, like uh, whatever. But um, yeah, that's gonna be fun. I will be tuning in, and that is gonna be Musty TV. So uh, talk to me a bit about the the. Let's let's move on because we can spend hours. It is fun. It's it's fun to talk the heads up in the Polk match and then the ground you mat. I'm sorry, in the ground you uh, match. But let's talk about the current state of poker because I think now more than ever. It just seems different. It seems exciting. I know you were, we were both with poker stars. You were with poker stars when you were kind of on that California swing, right? They were going to the reservation, the Indian reservations talking about, it It looked like trying to get California. It's such a key state in the, in, in the, I mean, one of it would be one of the biggest countries in the world. I, I think that's right. Like number two or three in the world. Uh, at the time when it was legal, if that was able to be like in comparison to a country in terms of traffic and volume, Uh California aside, we saw Pennsylvania pass now being operated with real money poker legally. Uh Michigan, that's my home state. I know my dad; he's playing on there on, on some of the sites, and and some of the other ones are coming. What do you think about this? The the, the current state of U.S. poker, uh, what's happening, and also with GG, you're you're. I don't want to use the, the A word but you you represent GG and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're making moves. Things are happening. What's, what's going on, man. Is U S back is GG in, in the, in, in the U S what's happened. Give me, give me your U S stick for poker.
1: Well, it's been exciting the last year. So obviously the world is hit hard by a pandemic, right? So that's like a sad thing. One of the silver linings is obviously a lot more people have some free time, but one of the things they've been doing is playing more online poker. So the industry as a whole globally has sort of like been, re- you know, kind of had a, like a reboom, if you will. A lot of people spending their free time doing that, specifically in the United States. As you mentioned, there's been regulation in different places. I play in Nevada, which there is one regulated site to play. And as you mentioned, you know, state to state, we're working on that. Um, California, which has the sixth largest economy in the world is, I think, what you were referring to. Uh, that would be the big carrot. I don't I would, I would just refrain from getting your hopes up about California because of the, um, you know, the Indian tribes and stuff like that. The reservations there, they're, they're just they don't get it. So you would take the like Pachanga and them like having a totally different taste of what uh, online poker is or something else. As far as GG Poker goes, I'm hopeful that we can get a license. I'd love to play on GG Poker from home, right? In Nevada. Uh, or even if, you know, I could travel to Pennsylvania or Atlantic City or something like that. So the company is obviously always in the process of like trying to accrue new licenses across the board. And I think, you know, I think I'm optimistic that GG Poker will enter the U.S. market. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it'll change things because frankly, if you know, if I'm being honest and then this isn't a disparage, I mean, it's, it is the newest software of like some of the older ones. And I think part of that is the fundamental, fundamental, like the fundamentals it was built upon are just more advanced and they're cooler. And I think it's just a lot of fun to play on. Okay. So, um, I think that re-engaged a lot of people just in terms of the dynamic way in which the site software, you know, gets people, you know, it tilts people like you got a SnapCam on there. And I think that's good. You know, you sort of talked about the state of poker and, you know, what's interesting. You know, I think part of it is like sort of going back to this idea that poker is not golf. OK, this isn't everyone wearing a button, button up T-shirt and saying all the right things. It's fucking gambling, man. It's poker. It's smash mouth in your faith. Heads up for roles. Let's fucking go. DGEN, Run it up. Like this is what the po- this is what the mainstream fell in love with. They didn't fall in love with like, you know, the prim and proper mom and dad who stay home. I mean, not the, and I'm not the spirits, again, who like raised two children by playing online poker. I'm like, okay, well, good for you. Great. But like, we want to hear about Phil Helmuth. You know what I mean? We want to hear some blood because that's just the way the world works. And I think it's, you know,
0: more true in poker than most. For sure. And and what would you say is the biggest uh, difference in what, you know, like I'm obviously very biased to party poker. We both came from poker stars. You were there. From when? What was your exact time with Stars? I mean, you were there. I had MoneyMaker on. I think it was like the first ever ambassador, just in poker, or, or really officially. And that was what? Oh three or so. And when did you come in with Stars? And, and what? What was your your term there uh, exactly? 2000. Yeah, I was with
1: I was with them a long time. I was with them for twelve years, and we parted ways in two thousand twenty. I want to say so about yeah. So about twelve years from two thousand whatever whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. So two thousand eight. I
0: guess, and, and, and just talk me a bit, a bit through it, because I was on, I was there for a year and a half, and in 2017 or 18, I believe, for about a year and a half, we were we were under the same roof, and it was a different time than the original. What was, uh, again, not to go too deep into detail, but would you, how how many different sets of kind of ownership or would you say you know how things were different just like as, as an overview from at what period did it change uh, in general and 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 give me a little bit of your 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 term and time at stars what you felt there like what your yeah how, what,
1: so when poker stars came on board like you know originally into the poker market they sort of like they before them was like a uh, pair paradise poker which had like 2000 concurrent players and i think stars was the first to really sort of embrace tournaments as a format right and they really started to build out a big schedule and things like that. And they, the timing was great because with the online boom came moneymaker, as you said, and uh, a lot of people playing. So there's a lot of deposits coming in. Money's just flying. and Nobody knows what the heck's going on, right? right. So games are great. You've got these big VIP systems where you're giving rewards and all this kind of stuff. And uh, as with m- most things, you know, with Black Friday, the uh, overall liquidity took a huge hit, right? You take a big chunk of the U.S. market, things yeah. are going to start to look different and things are going to start to get a little tougher. Um, and that happened, obviously, um, the company continued to grow and get bigger. Right. So it was started by like, you know, one of the classiest gentlemen who's a poker hall of fame or whether he's in it or not. And that's Eastside Scheinberg and his son, Mark, you know, they did an incredible job of building a company really from scratch. Um, and then eventually, you know, obviously they sold and when time a new company comes in, right. Part of what they want to do is increase revenue. Like you don't buy a company for 5 billion and hope that it stays worth 5 billion. You're trying to make it worth more. So sometimes right. you're going to see changes and sometimes you're going to see changes. Customers don't like that happened. Right. That was probably the most trying time for me uh, with my entire time. There was um, just, they called it miscommunication, but it's really just a horrifyingly bad decision in terms of um, stripping people of rewards that they'd already earned. Right? right. I was all for the decision to get rid of that program because the program sucked. I mean, the program worked when it worked, but then it stopped working because right. there was a period and po- stars were like literally, there was, a, there was a system where if you played 20 tables and just folded every hand, maybe played aces or kings, that's it. So you lose on the year. You don't make money doing that. But you get 20, 30000 bucks a year doing that, right? A, that's bad for the site. B, that's bad for the games, right, because it's slow and you got nits playing in the game. Like you don't want that, right? So some changes you made, um, the way in which it was implemented was the problem because people were not given fair warning, right? So I had you know discussions daily with David Bazov at the time. And I get them to a point where I would get them to like, all right, we'll wait a year. And then you come back to me the next day and he says, "Well, we can't." I'm like, Fuck, I was almost there, you know. Um, so that one was definitely a strain. And I said to them, "I said, you realize if you do this, this will put a black mark on your brand forever. Like you will not be able to recoup that. That's exactly. gone. Like you're, you know, the, the, all the sort of clout that you, all the, all the, you know, all that Eastside had built up, all the goodwill you built up is gone if you make this decision." And they ended up making the decision, which was frustrating. And I stayed on with the company for a couple more years. But again, again, everything changes as you get more corporate and things like that. You need more yeses and more there's more red tape to get something done. Right. Yeah. So, for example, with GG Poker, which is new, and, you know, it's up and coming. we say, hey, how about try this format? They're like, OK, let's get it done. They don't yeah. have to go through, you know, all these channels and different departments and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, let's just build it and let's see what happens. And that's that was what was exciting for me about joining GG, because after I'd left, I, started, I had no intention of working with any online company, but uh, I was so impressed with uh, you know the CEO. He came to my house, and I uh, was really impressed with how they do business, and I just uh, I just had a respect for him right away. And I could tell, you know, he's just yeah. one of those people where like I trusted him, and I think that you know the feeling was mutual, and the relationship's been great. It's been so cool. I mean, I know you're a papa, so it's different, but like it's like having a little baby, just like this, and it's like. In one year, my Uh, baby. You
0: have a baby over there. In one year, how are you telling me about babies? What's going on? In one year,
1: in one year, the Gigi baby went from like twenty-four inches to six foot five. You know, it's like a monster now.
0: But yeah. yeah. What let me let me a couple of things there because I, I agree I think ultimately especially in poker you have to have people that love poker and that are willing once you get in that corporate kind of matrix like you said where it's like it's hard to get stuff done it must be frustrating for yourself with your with Ishai because I actually never met him um, but I you know I hear everyone like was so, so just like yeah that guy you know him and Mark. They did such a great things. They were so likable. I have so many stories about how they took care of people and they didn't have to doing extra things, whatever. You know, Rob Young, that's someone, you know, I came from Stars, and that was the lore there is, you know, Rob is like, uh, he loves poker. He's doing things for poker. There's no one's going to, everyone who knows Rob knows that. You know, Phil Nagy as well, I know personally with ACR, like that guy loves poker. He's, he, he is always looking to do stuff. I don't know the the GG crew and the, you mentioned the CEO and you could you have that kind of report how important to you is that and how much how frustrating was that for you when you kind of felt like that was out the door and, and it just kind of changed like because you know you, you're hands-on you like doing stuff and you like making things happen like was that was it was it like almost you were in prison in a way or was it just like all right this is different and I'm going to deal with it but but how how, how yeah. upsetting was that if I'm being honest I don't have disparaging things to say about stars yeah. I thought my
1: time with them was good you know it just came to an end and I think what happened for me within the company was. So like, you know, you do different promotions, you use your ambassadors in different ways. And I felt like we sort of were doing the same old thing. All right, I go to Barcelona, I go to Monte Carlo. It became a little bit redundant and stagnant, I think, for both of us, you know, for them and for me. Also, um, you know, it's you know very corporate culture it grew into, right? And I think uh, one of the things that attracted me to GG Poker was just like, like, you know, they've got guts to try and do things that maybe, you know, uh, maybe won't work. But so what? We try it. You know, see what happens, and uh, so, so yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there was like a moment where I'm like, oh man, you know, things here suck. I, I, I enjoyed the people that I work with. I like them. Uh, I haven't spoken to them in quite a while. And one guy that you know, I, I was a couple of people have worked work, work with, with, with with us now, like Melanie Mosner, yeah, uh, Scott Goodall, Goodall still over there. But I have nothing but good things to say really about my time with them. Again, the most frustrating period, and I was very vocal with them. You know, at the time, how disappointed I was with the S and E thing. And I wish I could have done
0: more to stop it, but the wheels were already in motion and it was handled so poorly. It was just, yeah, it was tough. I think, you know, it's interesting to kind of compare uh, poker with sports teams and whatnot. Cause it, if people, it feels more emotional, I think in poker, when oh the guy leaves stars goes to GGR, this guy goes to, to party poker. Like there's just not a lot of major teams, you know, it's almost like there's four or five sites, right? So it's like, w- there's not a lot of places to kind of move uh, around. Like an NBA guys get traded, things happen. There's 32 teams in a lot of the major sports. So it's a little less, you know, it just seems more, I think, intense or personal in, in here, but it's it's not that large of an industry. So I, I think that's, that's part of it. And obviously, like you said, as things change, you want to go to where you believe you can be impactful for or poker and have some some say so you know things change ownership changes whatever happened to uh, David Bazoff I, I don't I never I kind of heard he like left the CEO like do, do you know like did, did he is he still in the industry at all or just doing something else or do you have any idea I just I forgot about that name almost do you have any well idea? my guess my guess is he did quite well right. with what they did you know the, I think he from what I remember
1: he smartly you know they bought for four point nine and this is a guy who really he's actually an interesting story because the guy. David Bazov, he was a guy who like didn't really come from money. He started out like selling these mail tickets for like 300 bucks, 500 bucks, created a little marketing company by the time he was a teenager, got kicked out of the house, you know. And then this company, this little itty bitty company, Blackboard or whatever the hell word, this little company, Amaya, he's like, I'm gonna buy stars, five million dollar comp five billion dollar company. Meanwhile, his company was worth like a hundred million. <laughs> you know, he's how but he made it work, you know, so discredit. And I think what he did was, and I don't know this to be a fact, so I could be talking out of my The wrong orifice but i believe he sold some shares and then bought back in so i think he did quite well uh financially that regard but i don't think you know he's not as far as when i left he didn't have anything to do with any decisions or daily he
0: wasn't really involved in the company anymore right um, quickly, guys, I want to mention that we are well, we're live on Twitch. It's the first time we've done this live on Twitch, which should have been doing for a while. That's another story, but we are uh doing the podcast hey, live. If you go to Twitter, giving away a hundred dollars in BTC plus a ticket, Daniel, if uh we are going to save some time for some questions at the end. I appreciate everyone who did hit the retweet and we will, there's a lot, Daniel, I think you, you set the official record uh, on questions. So I do want to, I want to, I want to get a few of these uh, towards the end. So please guys get that out there. And I also want to ask about while we're over here on the masterclass, cause this is something that I know is very popular and I actually know a lot of people that have bought this. How how does this program, when did you do this and uh, how was that experience? Because I know there's, I mean, there's some of the, the really interesting people uh, within the masterclass program. Like how, how was the, uh, to get asked to do this and, and how was that experience kind of making this, this program and what can people expect to get, what level is it, is it targeted for here? Right. So from a production perspective, I've never had a better experience in my life than working with people at masterclass.
1: When you think of high end and I like high end stuff, it was the most high end streamlined production ever. From the audio to the you know the, the lighting to the sets to the decor to the detail to the course, and we put a lot of work into it. I actually worked with MJ and Matt, you know, my coaches, to sort of come up the curriculum for Masterclass. So it isn't just some like beginner thing, right? One of the yeah. things about Masterclass that really blows my mind is how well it continues to do, right? They my class in itself, I, my class of all the masterclasses, and I was very proud of this. In USA Today, they rank them and say which are the best ones to watch. Mine was number one, ahead of like you know. Steph Curry, like you showed, and Serena Williams, Wolfgang Puck, and Samuel Jackson. It's a really cool cast of people and a cool concept uh, masterclass. So we put a lot of good work into it. I think for the price you're getting, okay, if you want some coaching, obviously, if you're a professional poker player that wants to get like very detailed coaching, you're going to spend thousands of dollars on that. Masterclass at its price point is an absolute steal. Like it's absurd, the amount. I mean, I really put a lot of work into it, the information. It helps you think about poker in a more advanced way. I do an entire section on tells or whatever. But again, most of these things, and anytime you do a course or something like that, there's usually a shelf life where it's popular for a little bit and then it wanes. The sales on this thing continue to blow my mind. It's still still rocking really, really hard. And what I like about it too was it's an opportunity to sort of hit the more more of the mainstream, right? So you get a random guy who's like, oh, I want to learn how to shoot hoops, shoot hoops from Steph Curry. I'm like, oh, poker? Yeah, I I like some poker. I gonna maybe I'll learn some poker too, right? So it's an opportunity to really sort of mainstream poker. And I know for a lot of you guys who are on YouTube, you see, you know, my ad, you know, you can't be too loosey-goosey eating a sandwich all the time, right? You've probably seen that a thousand times. Part of the reason you're seeing that so often
0: is because it's doing incredibly well. That's awesome. That is, uh, that's pretty cool to, to put that in, you know, to understand on that level and, and how it's performing. So that, that's nice. And Phil, Phil Ivey actually has a course as well. Is he the only other poker uh, personality that has a, has a course on there? Yeah, they, they often do that where
1: they'll do like two actors Two yep. cooks, like Thomas Keller and Wolfgang Puck. And they go for the creme, creme de la creme, you know, when they can. So with poker, I think it's just the two of us. Who knows? Maybe there will be another version in the, in the future. Right. Um, but uh, you know, Ivy's is going to be very different. I think for a lot of people, you just want to get inside the mind of Phil Ivey and how he thinks. He's right. less, I would say, instructional in, you know, the way that he does things. But he's going to like – I think it's really interesting, to, you know, with Phil Ivey, you just you just get an opportunity to think about what does he think about when he's playing in a poker hand, right? And how does he do that? So – that's that's what's interesting about his. So ours are very different.
0: How, how do you think Ivy, with this you know new age and in his stra- his style and just sort of like kind of one of the OGs as well, like where, where Helmuth, where does where do you rank uh, some of, some of, in terms of doing work and stuff like that? What, what's your I guess you know obviously Eric Seidel, he's one you mentioned, and and I he's just one of the – was stood the test of time, great player. You know Ivy also still showing great results in some of these high rollers and, and the short deck recently in particular. Like, do you think? Um, you know, how, how, how many people do you think are doing work like on their games that are from from sort of your original you know, being in for like 15 plus years? Like well, how many guys would you don't have to necessarily say who do you think it was a handful? Is it a couple? Most don't like what do you what sort of your take on that generation?
1: Yeah, I would say almost none. I would say Phil Ivey. Yes, because Phil Ivey, you know, he just loves poker and he doesn't poo poo the young generation. But like, he's always had a healthy respect for his opponents and his opposition right. that he's always like willing. Like I remember we were in Monte Carlo. We were deep in a tournament. This was a few years ago. And it was like 20 left and it was a high roller. So it was like 15 left. And Phil said me, he's like, I don't know what I'm doing against these guys. And I was like, wow, you know, to hear Phil Ivy, the GOAT. So he's like, I'm not sure. I think I'm playing really bad against them. But, you know, that willingness and that humility to be able to like be, you know, to like sort of look within is required to stay at the top. So a guy like Phil for sure. Eric Seidel, and I don't know this for a fact, um, but I'm guessing like he has a good friendships with some of the guys who play in high rollers. I would imagine that he's put in some work and he's, he's another one who's willing to learn. I remember sitting with Eric Seidel in a tournament, another high roller, we're sitting next to each other and all the kids are like 25 and they're all killers. And he looked at me, and he goes, they're pretty tough, huh? I was like, yeah, they're pretty tough. Right. So, so yeah, when you have that healthy, you know, respect for the, those that are in the trenches, that's when you have the ability to sort of reinvent yourself and continue to learn. Right. So Phil, like Helmuth, he sees it as a negative, negative, that I'm always looking at the new thing, trying out the new strategies or whatever. He sees that as a, a negative, that I should just stick to how I played 16, 15 years ago. Does that make any sense? I don't think so, right? The game evolves. It gets tougher. The stuff that worked in 2004 doesn't work as well today. Back in 2004, nobody said there were ranges and combos. Nobody folded. Like, I could, people over, Like The flop would be 10, 4, 4. You know why I played 4, 6 suited every time? Because if the flop came 10 4, 4 and this guy had two jacks, I'm winning 300 big ones.
0: Or, yeah, ace-10 10 or 10 out.: Or today
1: people are fucking folding the jacks if you put heat in. You know, like people just got better. So it required you know, a more adaptive style uh, you know, to, to what people are doing today. They just, they've learned. So it's just a – a whatever you do in the world, I don't care what job it is, if you get to a place where you think you've figured it out completely, that's the exact moment where you're going to fall behind the curve. Because other
0: people are still looking to improve upon their situation. For sure. No, I agree completely. And how do you deal with variance, especially when you don't play as much volume as, say, a lot of online grinders or whatnot? How do you really evaluate your game? How are you able to say to yourself, like, you know, I find this to be the one of the most difficult things is to to understand when you're running poorly and when you're maybe not playing your best. How are, how have you been able to look back over your career in certain periods of time, where you you decide, hey, it's not just run bad. I need to take a moment, step back, reevaluate, talk some poker. How, how do you do that? That's something I think I've gotten really
1: really good at. Honestly, is being like honest with myself. And I think when you're young and you're starting out, you don't really know. You know, a lot of people when they start winning early, they think they're just really good. Maybe they're terrible, but they just ran good. You know. Um, for me, I feel like I've gotten to the point, you know, through playing for 20 plus years where I can gauge quite, you know, I can look back and I'll analyze hands and be like, yeah, no, I, mean, I played the hand correctly. I would do that. You know, right. I'll ask some people or whatever. And I'm like, no, you played the hands fine. So I think I've got a really good barometer of when, you know, it's like, right, these guys are just really outplaying me or I'm running like dog shit. Like you, 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 you just build that muscle, if you will. Right. Um, having said that just because I'm running bad, doesn't mean I'm like, well, chalk it up to running bad, I'm still going to work on my game and try to improve it, right? So it doesn't really have much of, there's not a lot of value in it, really, in, in no, noticing the difference. Unless you're playing professionally and you're in a game, let's say, for example, I got a friend of mine, he plays in a private game. He's been getting killed, right? And it's a big game. So for him, it matters to decide, all right, am I better than these guys? Is this a really good, or am I just, are they better? So for him, it is important to know the difference because when you're making financial decisions going forward, you have to base them on you know your expected value right and if you really feel like you've been on a downswing and unlucky and the data sh- shows that you'd keep playing whereas if that's not the case you're making a bad investment so it's time to quit
0: right yeah i that's uh that's 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 really well said um i, w- I want to ask you about the current uh crypto nfts are you are you familiar with this blockchain nft nba top shot do, are you familiar with this do you, you, do you have any thoughts on this i just saw it pop up in the last week and it's like, I have very little understanding of it other than like
1: people are buying moments and things like that. And I'm like, man, we live in a weird world, but like this generation, like, I mean, just all the stuff that happened with the stock market and GameStop and this and that, like I'm behind the curve. What I do is I typically just follow what smart nerds do, right? If the smart nerds are buying Bitcoin, I'm like, okay, smart nerds are buying Bitcoin. I'll buy Bitcoin. Can I explain to you what the fuck Bitcoin is? Nope. Do I have any clue how to use it? Nope.
0: But I got it. I got it. a, I got a couple of coins, right? Yeah, you're you're gonna take a take a take a peek. I saw the tweet from the man, the the myth, uh, Brian Ballswell, A lot of love for Brian and, and those guys. And, and uh, I, I I saw he almost like misclicked or something. What was the story behind that? I saw his tweet where he like almost sent the wrong address potentially or something. He was on the floor and looked a little out of wind there. Well, what was the deal on that?
1: Yeah. So again, I'm like Bitcoin illiterate. I'm wallet well, illiterate. Yeah. Traders, I don't know how to do any of this shit. So Brian yeah. sort of helped set mine up, and then my other guy Christian. Was helping me with it as well and we noticed there was like a discrepancy where there was a large chunk of money you know pretty close to brian's net worth that he was supposed to have sent me from past uh business you know transactions or whatever we looked and we're like they're not here like the, we, we never got those coins right it was supposed to be in bitcoin so we never got them and they didn't show up you know on my you know trades or whatever mm. and so he was on the golf course poor guy he was like two hundred from five holes having his best round ever or something like that not and great. uh he couldn't he couldn't take it so he came straight over to uh, you know, try to figure the problem out, and then we realized that there was another account that I was using that we did find the transactions there. So he like he was like standing, and then like we you know we found it, and he just collapsed to the ground, and I took a picture because my my puppy started licking his face because for him like he's flat out sick because he's an honorable guy. He's like, listen, you know, if like I'll
0: take full responsibility like if you didn't get him like that I'm would gonna, be that would be quite a predicament right because i mean you're also he's honorable but you're also generous and then that would be a pretty pretty uh, i would not have felt good about the idea of taking all like having them like yeah. liquidate that's, everything that's, like no i would that's a pretty 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 intense sweat so uh what, what do you what do you think of the name when i when i say uh connor mcdavid what, what are your thoughts on him and this guy because i haven't heard about him and this this you know you're i know you're a big hockey guy how good is this guy where does he rate? You know, Connor McDavid, it's a perfect example.
1: Actually, and we can make an analogy with poker. Connor McDavid is the best hockey player of all time. He is. You know, people are not going to say that because they're like, well, he is. The, he hasn't had the record that Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux or whatever, but currently he's the best player in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And what he's capable of doing, no other human being has ever done in the, in, in the past. He doesn't have championships. He doesn't have titles. He doesn't have anything. He just simply plays the game at a higher level than everybody else. He likely will, whether he does or not, you look at his career and you say, did he have the best career of all time? Maybe, maybe, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But as far as the player, there's no player that has a bigger impact on the game and never has Bobby or whoever than Connor McDavid. Right? So Wayne Gretzky, who was considered by many the greatest, and really said this kid's the best, but people are, Oh no, no, you're the greatest. I'm like, Oh, I was the greatest of my era. But imagine, imagine any kid who's 22 now Going back and playing professional sports in 1955. Right. right? Yeah. So he's going to be like even an average, a four, like, a, you know, the sixth man on an NBA team. Right. He's going to go back to 1950 and he's going to be the best player in the court. Right. right. With evolution and time and advancements and, uh, you know, physical strength and strategy and all this kind of stuff. Like next generation's always going to get better.
0: Well, I, I had to ask because, first of all, I so I'm a little embarrassed because I consider myself a, a sports fan, but I had never heard the name until a couple months ago. And I buddy, a mutual friend of ours. Uh, well, I, I know you know him. I don't know how close you are, but yeah, I got I got sent that card. And that's a a PSA ten, a McDavid, and I've gotten really into sports card collecting. And I and then I I started seeing this guy. on like Sports Center highlights and doing like he would just go the whole ice and like like it was just crazy. And I was just uh, I was just wondering how good he actually is because I that's what Jason Kuntz, you know Jason Kuntz, not Kuhn to be confused. Yeah, exactly. That's actually you know the reason I got to this is kind of funny because the reason I ended up meeting him was I was at a friend's house in Michigan a couple years ago. And then all of a sudden the name came up and then my other friend was like, oh, you should ask uh, Jason Kuntz about this idea because he did some course or something with Daniel Negreanu and and asked him how it was or what it was. And so then we called. I had never met him. And then next thing you know, I was driving over like a half hour from my parents' house. I took my whole childhood collection and brought it to him at like 9 p.m. at night. And he looked through it and was like this. I thought like I thought I had some good stuff there. And he was like, this is worthless. You got worthless Mm -hmm. stuff because I had the wrong generation of collecting. But that's what got me. Back into collecting and, and I've uh, been getting into it but yeah anyway that's uh yeah he's a big poker poker fan and in the cards you do you have any physical cards did you collect as a kid was that popular when you were growing up yeah I had but I was baseball cards right so they had like some hockey cards but I had all the baseball cards I wonder where the hell they all are dude, I wonder, dude not, I'm not saying you're old but I think you're 12 years older than me so you know you're still still a kid kid poker but I, you might have some valuable stuff because that would be the right kind of era where there is some some gems in there so that might be that'd be a fun exercise to try to locate that and then get the the sweat the best part is actually you know going through it because it's like a treasure chest you should you should give a a thing you you think you might have in an attic somewhere an old place or where would they know that i have in a box they were
1: not some of them were actually sealed and all that stuff because i did that for a little bit way back in there but like i mean these cards
0: are like early 80s probably a lot of the cards yeah, be some be some interesting interesting stuff in there. Uh, yeah, so anyway, NFTs, that, that's a whole nother. It is crazy, like the the, da- the punks, the punk stuff, you saw the, what's it called? The, the, they're selling for like millions of dollars, these little uh, cartoon characters. And, and do you have any interest in collecting that or just no interest? They really dive down the rabbit hole. No, not, and at this point, no, who knows? That could change in time, right? Like, I don't
1: know. I mean, I didn't know anything about cryptocurrency or anything like that. And I bought some of that. But like, who knows? I don't know. But it's not something that like I think about, I'm like, oh my God, I really need that stuff. Hey, you need can I take 30 seconds. I 30
0: seconds. You just keep I just gotta yeah, let's do it. We're live on Twitch. I'm gonna take some Twitch questions, guys. All right, we got D-Megs in the house. He's got he's that's a good sign. He doesn't quit. He goes, he's taking a, a little pause, taking a little bathroom break. Good to see you guys. I'm sorry I'm not shouting out the uh, comments on Twitch. We are gonna start doing this on Twitch, which we should have been doing before. We were doing it on YouTube uh, live the majority of the time. We'll be doing it on Twitch now. I do have a podcast tomorrow with Mrs. Monia, hey Monia, that is um, Party Poker, and we also have CSU Ram, the man, the myth, Peter Jennings, the the fantasy guru on Friday. So three podcasts this week. Um, I do have a few pending tweets that are uh, active for giveaways, and let me just see real quick if we can go to them. I think I have a hundred twenty three dollars uh, to guess the hundred twenty third podcast guest, which I, which had to be rescheduled, so that's actually in limbo. Uh, as a matter of fact, right now, this is $123 in BTC giveaway uh, link. If we're a ghost, maybe you could put that in the chat and put that. See you guys in there. What's up, kentucky Thank you so much for that sub. Thanks for everyone who's subbing. I'm not going to call out subs while I am uh, live, but I, I, I do appreciate you guys. Um, and uh, that's a good question, Papua Winkle and um, pick a down chill game for the half challenge hand. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as well. And I am again, going to be giving away a hundred dollars. If Daniel, I don't know if he actually, I'm going to ask Daniel to do it. Daniel, I don't know if you did retweet my thing. If, if you are able to retweet that, it does mention party poker in there. So that's a competitor. I don't know if you can retweet it, but if he does and he's picked for the random giveaway, I will give 10 X. So I'll give a $1,000 in BTC if he's the giveaway that the name is picked. But I don't know if you can retweet it. Are you allowed to retweet that, Daniel, or is that a violation? Yeah, it's one of those where like, I don't know. Well, <laughs> all right, well, I'm going to still give away. I'm giving away 100 in BTC, and, and we, uh, we're we going to go. And I think we should dive into questions pretty soon because we're already – you know, we've been cruising. We've covered the heads-up match. We're covering the U.S. Uh, I guess the last question I'll say before we go to the, the, Twitch, the Twitter questions, do you believe – the boom, is there another mini boom in the US? Do you think that's possible where it, poker could get back to the, the popularity that it, it had or anywhere near when it was really surging back in the day? So it'll
1: will, nothing will ever happen again like it did, okay? okay? We will never see the boom like we did with Moneymaker. Having said that, we've already sort of started to see one. And I think the big key would be, of course, legislation and having online poker available. And also, most importantly, online poker sites being able to sort of advertise on TV and to have shows. One of the things that drove poker's popularity was poker after dark and the big game, both on NBC and on Fox, right? If you can get poker on network television, that's actually interesting. You know, not like high roller tournaments because that would just do more harm than good because everyone takes, you know, it's just not that people there, they're just playing for money. They're not playing to entertain. Right. And I don't take anything away from them, but like from a product perspective, you want to make a poker show, you don't want to invite those guys (laughs) because they don't make for a good poker show they make right. good they make like high level poker play but when you're trying to create a show like high stakes poker or something like that which is back on poker go for those of you that don't know and i've been watching it's super great um i didn't play in it this season because of covid and i was preparing for Doug. but having that it's currently behind a paywall which is poker go but having more stuff like that back on tv
0: if legislation allows for it that would be a, a big win for poker And what do you think is the most exciting, you know, I actually love the premier league. I got to play one time. I think you played numerous. uh, That was the party poker premier league back. I think season seven was the last one in Montreal in 2012. Like, what do you, I thought that was super fun. The format, there's like points. It's like a sit and go, but it's a fun way of doing it. What is your dream content that you believe like, poker go or other other places like you kind of mentioned not the highest level players who are tanking and covered up and you know it's not necessarily the most entertaining it's cool because the prizes are big what would be your dream content format for for tv
1: well it's funny because i'm actually helping to make it happen but you mentioned you know the premier league i think i did play it once and i love that style format. me my favorite show that i used to play and i didn't play in was superstars of poker okay Mm. which had a point system as well and i remember one heat the very last heat gus hansen needed to win. Second, it was an eight-hander or something. He had to come first. Nothing else mattered, right? So he went all in every hand. Literally all in every hand, because there was like three or four people at the table who just needed to move up one spot. So he was able and he ended up winning the whole table the, the table and you know moving on to the next round. Um I just played recently in what's called the Pog Champs. Those of you on Twitch, you probably know what that is a little bit. And the Pog Champs was essentially a it's a chess tournament. And the format for Pog Champs was so brilliant that I was like we need to, we absolutely must create this format for poker. So essentially what they did was they took 16 streamers or celebrities, Rain Wilson from The Office, myself, Logic the Rapper, and then a whole bunch of big name streamers that I didn't even know who they were. Pokimani, QXQC, you know, mm. all these big time, you know, streamer people. And so what they do is put you into four groups, right? So you have group play and then you play a round robin. So you play each person once. Top two from each group advance. The bottom two play in a consolation round, right? Right. So it'll be based on record and stuff like that. Then you create a quarterfinal bracket, semifinals, and finals. And, you know, that way everyone plays at least, you know, three matches or whatever. And the format was really, really fun and really great. And I think it would really work for poker heads up. The other thing that they do, which is great and super important, I think we need to do this somehow, is with chess. You have a chess clock, Okay. What that means is, you get X amount of time. Say you're playing a ten minute game, you get ten minutes to make all your moves. So does the other guy. If you run out of time, you lose. Right. You lose. You don't just you lose. It doesn't matter if you have, you know, you're about to checkmate the guy. If you run out of time, you lose. Right. So what does that? What does that promote? Quick play. Right. Yeah. No, now you're not going to see guys tanking in poker, waiting thirty seconds. So my theory is. We could create a tournament like this with increments. which chess works too sometimes is you'll do like a 10-5. So what that means is you have a 10-minute clock, and then after your move is over, once you click button, you get five seconds put back on your clock. So let's say you're down to like 30 seconds. You're like, oh, shit, I only got 30 seconds left. Well, if you move instantly, you know, six times in a row, now you got a minute because you're getting that five seconds put back on, right? So, you, you know, it's promoting fast play. So a format like that, a little bit of speed poker, I just think that in general, that would be better than a shot clock anyway. Because even with a shot clock, everyone gets 30 seconds. Well, often people just take 30 seconds to full seven-deuce off-suit. I want them to be punished, right? And you can only way you can punish them is to actually say, all right, time is a commodity. Your clock is like value. Because if you run out of your clock, you can do it two ways. You could say you lose, or you could say you have five seconds to act for every decision going forward. You know, that depends on how cutthroat you want to be. I like that you're out. I like that. I, like yeah.
0: I, I saw that actually recently Bonomo and, you know, heads up in a high roll or poor him, you know, but he said his time bank ran out or was disconnected and it was like a huge disadvantage. But, you know, I think that would be a good solution to take it away or make it very small, not just eliminate someone, but make it like, uh, you know, so they're 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 severely disadvantaged at that point. And speaking of chess, I've actually, you know, I watched Queen's Gambit. Did, have you seen that? Yep. Were you a fan? Oh, it was great. Excellent yeah. show thought it was great too i i i really did enjoy it and i see here a uh, is this happening or coming up when is this this is uh, yeah we're,
1: we're gonna do another one with poker players i'm not gonna win that one there's some hustlers in there
0: but yeah Wow. I've some Guys I know that are good in there, but that's uh that that's pretty cool. So I mean it's nice to see that that uh chess is sort of getting some, you know, it's it's becoming more popular and and it's a cool game. I think that's the biggest thing is the clock, right? If you have games that are fast speed or blitz, that right. type of thing. I think so, the just chess, more- so. Here's the thing:
1: chess learned many years ago that they have a problem. They the time like if people take, imagine this: a poker or chess. If someone took three days to make a decision, it would ruin the game. You couldn't play the game, right? Mm-hmm. So there has to be a function of time and they learn they're like, all right, well, what about if we just create a clock and this guy gets 30 minutes, this guy gets 30 minutes and when his time's up, you know, he's out. Right. And so they figured out a solution in poker. We haven't gone that way because of logistically the issues with a clock, how difficult that would be to implement online. is very easy to do. Okay. Um, I would think, and then live, there are ways to do it. It would require just sort of maybe a third party, like referee, if you will, just, you know, clicking the clock, or we could have some sort of, uh, you know, apps developed where you know the clock goes from player to player because uh one of the biggest you know things over the last five six years with people getting better and thinking more deeply about hands it takes a lot longer and what part of part of the negative of what that does is it makes the playing experience less fun for the average guy who we want to have fun right when an average guy is sitting there at the table playing a tournament and a hand takes seven minutes right because
0: two guys are thinking pre thinking flop like gets bored he's like i don't know And then, and then the other part, they're not even thinking. They're just balancing because they they be like, oh, if I have to think this time, I need to think this three minutes, two or two minutes, this hand, every hand. And that you know, then it just comes out of hand. So, yeah, I agree. And, I mean, the big blind Annie was a big development. I think that helps a lot. Speed of play. Also, the shot clock has been implemented. World Poker Tour, some other places. I think Aria, you know, whatever. There's places that use it, and it does help to some degree, uh, and that that's been good. All right, well let's let's dive into some questions here. Uh, who got there, Rocky? Who's that? Yeah, this one's Rocky. Apollo's in the picture back there, but this is Rocky right here. Nice looking, yeah. looking fresh and focused. So, we'll uh, we'll get let's dive in, guys. We got a hundred dollars to give away plus a 55 dollars ticket. So, I'm gonna just kind of go down the line. Dan, I don't know if you can see these or not, but I'll read out some. Uh, people are fired up about Helmuth. I saw some other people in the Twitch chat asking about details again. That's like March 16th and it's a one day event. But tell last I keep saying last question before we're going here because I think it's interesting on the challenge format. Have you decided because this is like the who wants to be a millionaire kind of deal with the scale? Like, you could technically keep doubling or doubling you have to give three chances is that is that right with this challenge like after if if you lose and you want to play they have to accept up to three times is that right or no
1: yeah there's a you know basically the way it works is you're the king of the hill which phil is right now you can't cash out unless either a unless you've won three matches Mm. right so for example antonio lost he can re-challenge him if antonio said no somebody else can jump in at 100k and he has to play them and if you know then that person said no then someone else for 200k so he has to win all three matches to cash out. And he did. He won $350,000 off Antonio. And now he can cash out and go back
0: to fifty thousand. So that's kind of the format. And then you could keep going if you want. You could play, you know, for, for higher stakes. Oh, so he could have just left it and, and not taking the he could have left it there and someone would have to challenge at that point. Is that or would you yeah, have the, to start the challenge,
1: Basically the way they have it set up is you can you can uh, you can bail after three matches or you can bail after five. If mm-hmm. you agree to match number four, then you gotta play a,
0: you know, be willing to take a rematch there too. Very interesting. And what is your, have you decided like what, at what point would you never quit Phil? Do you have a mark in your mind? Like what, what, what's your kind of your mental side of this? Have you thought about that? Or you just don't think you're not worried because it's not going to, he's not going to win three or five. Well,
1: I would play Phil if you wanted to play like 800 straight days, I would never, I mean, like literally I would never quit him. This is like, it, I mean, it would, be, it would be, it would make no sense for me to quit him. It's just a financial mistake quit him because it's, you know, it's a plus EV situation and it's
0: fun. It's fun. It's plus EV for my life and plus EV for my bankroll. Wow. So you, there it is. You've heard it. You heard it. Maybe not first, but you will, you will not quit Phil. You will let him run the, run the table. You would let him just take you, take you all the way. You're just not going to, you're not throwing the white flag at any point. Well, Phil would never do that anyway.
1: Like Phil's always going to take the money because he's a little bit of a nit in that way. He, as soon as he's got a profit, lock it up. So he will you three times.
0: That's it. You don't think he's going to let it run. Oh,
1: you know, he didn't against Antonio. Why would he do it now? Interesting.
0: Yeah true but uh i mean yeah all right well guys you heard it daniel is ready to lay it on the line versus phil we don't know phil maybe we'll have on again on the show and let him give his uh his takes because man phil has been i think this has been an interesting experience i got so much love for him, but he has you know this has been a lot of there's been a lot of talk about all this and phil's been kind of you know i saw jason Kuhn, others weighing in on the situation and kind of arguing about the wsop versus the, ma- the minor major leagues this type of thing in the high roller circuit or high roller series and it's definitely gonna be interesting and in much see tv March 16th, guys, that'll be on poker go and that's gonna be a lot of fun. Let's take some questions. Daniel, you tell me when you gotta quit. We're gonna go for a while and I won't quit you. So you gotta just tell me we're gonna we're gonna yeah. go down the ladder here and, and you just tell me when. Uh, all right. Question about this. Why did you choose GG over ACR? I mean, specifically ACR, let's just make why GG over any of the other sites, because I'm sure there was a few knocking.
1: Yeah, no, obviously the, the, the moment I made the announcement, you know, there were sites that inquired, and I said, I'm not interested in anything. I was like I said, I wasn't interested in signing with anybody. Right. And then you know, the, uh, what happened, I had this little staking thing I was doing for the World Series where I offered people pieces and it was kind of a mess log- technologically. And Gigi asked, cause they said, well, we do staking, you know, we can help you with it. And they were gonna do it for free. And I was like, wow, that's very nice of you. You know, like a very kind gesture. And they did, they did such a great job with it that uh, Michael came, uh, Mike, you know, the, the CEO came to uh, Las Vegas, came to my house and we just started talking. Poker, business, you know, staking thing. If we wanted to do something together with that, and the more he talked, more I'm like, this guy gets it. You know, he just understands at the deepest level, like he gets it. He fully gets it. So I was like, all right, well, you know, I didn't. And we even said at the beginning of the meeting is like that. I wasn't looking at any, looking at, in any interest in any sponsorship. And it's like, oh, okay. But then by the end, I'm like, you know what? Hold the phone. You know, the software is the best as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's super cutting edge. Um, you know, the guy I really like and trust and, you know, the, the vision that they had, I was like, totally on board. There really wasn't anyone else. Um, you know, he mentioned ACR or whatever. I never spoke with them or anything like that. But uh, again, it went for, it wasn't a choice between GG and others. It was literally a choice between like not doing anything or doing something with GG. And, and I thought it was fun. I thought it would be fun to take a site because at the time when I signed with GG, they were very small potatoes, if you will, right? They were growing, but they were small potatoes and didn't really have a marketing department. I jump on, you know, all of a sudden we have a marketing department and blew up.
0: And I got to ask you, because what do you believe? Uh, and you're a humble guy in, in a lot of respects. I'm not trying to like put you out to like. How much do you think? You know, I don't even know how to ask the question. You obviously were impactful for for GG. I guess my question is, how hands-on? You know, uh, like was it was it you being involved? Like, were you more involved than you thought when you originally signed? That was your goal to be active and and add things and really be. Hands on, or did it start with like, all right, I like it. I kind of, I'm cool with where they're at. Let's see what happens. And it kind of evolved into you being super into it, or, or, you know, just tell me without telling me. That's a new thing on Twitter. People like doing those. Tell me without telling me you've helped GG. How have you helped GG? So, what percent are you giving yourself on a uh, pat on the back for their success? So, so let's say that,
1: so the, during the conversation, when he, you know, he's right at this table, um, you know, part of what he said is listen, we are good at software. We know how to build cool software. What we don't do, we don't have is a marketing department. And I'm like, well, good news is I do have a pretty good history of marketing and poker and online sites. So now all of a sudden we're like, all right, well, let me jump on board. And one of the key key things we did, Brian and I, who's my agent, um, we looked in our Rolodex, if you will, because we figured, all right, there really wasn't a marketing department at the time. We need to hire somebody to build out the team. And we went back into a little history. And for those of you that have been around poker a while, you'll know Wicked Chops Poker which was around a lot lot of raw raw Vegas or whatever like that. So, so uh, we, you know, we reached out to chops and chops has done an incredible job of building out a team, you know, in Toronto, they've got a team in Korea or whatever. And then through relationships that I have building, you know, bonds with like the world series of poker, for example, where we're running the world series of poker events. And, you know, we did that for the summer and stuff like that. So really just networking, doing really good things in that regard. Um, and I think, if anything, my association with them increased their level of credibility as a real player. Uh, I am surprised and shocked that we took over the top spot so quickly. Um,
0: but uh, I'm excited about it, for sure. It's pretty pretty awesome, as they said. Is, is, that, is that like where – in terms of the mar, the power rankings and sites, and you know I, I know uh, – is that is that like what parameter or uh, – measurement would you be saying that gg you believe is a is a is in the lead that currently in the market is that is that based off of uh you know Mm because i'm not you know yeah what what is what is that number of just simple number
1: of tournament players number of uh cash game players that are playing on your site right so i'm sure like you know with plo you know with all the different games and different formats just in terms of sheer numbers critical mass you know uh, and, and, and again i'm sure it fluctuates back and forth but um, you know, when I check on poker scout or whatever, like that, you know, you got to GG network up on top.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, it's been a lot of, a lot of growth and, and, uh, it's good. I mean, in general, I think it's good. Like no matter what you could say about the stars. And I remember being again, part of there and the Twitch team and sort of like a, a monopoly. It's nice to see that there is sort of disparity and there is other. Teams and other people represent other sites and people have options, right? And I think that's just good for good for the, you know, not to have a monopoly. It's good for the poker community to have options for sites to be doing their best, to find good, good, you know, value for players and that there are options for people to to play. And, and, and a lot of different sites offer different, you know, things. So that's Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: That is- I agree completely. Like, you know, monopolies are bad for anything. So people like, say, for example, if they like the party software, go go open an account there. If you like the GG, open an account there. You want to play all the tables on Sunday? Go for it. You know, be my guest. Variety's good. You know, that's why you know there's a Pepsi and a Coke. Some people prefer Pepsi. Some people prefer Coke. Um, but bottom line is, you you have a choice. It's not just like here, drink this. So that's a
0: good thing. Like, yeah, competition is healthy. Absolutely, I agree on that completely. Uh, so let's see uh what about okay we got mary in the chat i see her in the live twitch stream and i see her on top here so let's go ahead and just a- ask this do you think more should be done to encourage women in poker that we just saw this international women's poker it feels like every day every month there's a there's a theme now right every day like, some crazy whatever women in poker this is a topic you know i feel like when i ask females about it they don't really want to talk about it. we had a famously uh at one of the, the gg awards i think it was a kate uh, she she won and was make a big thing about women shouldn't be separate. What is your kind of take uh, on on women in poker and should there be more to try to get women into poker? Do you think it's important? Does it matter?
1: So it's a question. It's a question that's been asked since I started in the late '90s, right? right? right. And I've noticed well the percentage of players from the late '90s to today in terms of male female really has not changed mm-hmm. at all. It's really like the you know the percentage of players in the tournament make up you know that are women are about five to six percent, right? So everyone has this, oh, you know, what do we got to do? Get more women in poker, right? As though there's this, like, care. And I've asked the question. I remember going to a bunch of women. I said, what do you think that, you know, poker needs to do? And really, it they, there's really no consensus answer because it's kind of a broken question, if you will. Right. Yeah. You know, one of the things when you think about this, right? So if you think about poker, you go to the World Series poker, who do you mostly see? You see white men. Okay. That's what you mostly see as a sea of white men, right? There are minorities and there are, you know, women and, and whatnot. But like, when you think about that, like, why would that be? Right. So maybe an economic uh, disparity in terms of like, pay: women in a lot of cases don't make as much money as men, which is unfair. Right. So as a result, they don't have as much disposable income. Right. There's also something to be said about women, generally speaking, not, uh, not in all cases, have slightly different interests than men. Right. Men, you know, if, if you're going to use the, the camps, right? Well, you look at... So let me ask you this. You know, romance not romance novels. Like they sell those romance novels that are real sexy or whatever. 94% of them are bought by women, right? Do you think they spend much time asking like, what do we need to do to get more men to buy our books, right? Well, why is it that women buy these books and men don't? Just right. different, you know, slightly different interests, right? Uh, again, and the women that do want, do find interest in poker, the games players, or whatever, they play. I don't believe personally that... The idea that like, uh, you know, sort of a a, a man saying something to a woman is a reason why she wouldn't play poker because she could play online, play live. And like, I'm friends with Jennifer Harmon, who's been around forever. And she dealt with some real shit back in the day. And she just she's like, whatever, I'll show my tits if it means fucking, you know, you're going to call me here. You're going to fold when I don't have it. Right. Right. (laughs) So I think the question's flawed in so many ways, because I just don't buy for a second. I don't buy this idea that, oh, you know what, if. WBT would just not have women that are scantily clad bring out the money that more women would play poker. It's just complete bullshit. It makes no sense. Like the, the idea that like any woman sees that and says, you know what? Here's the thing. You know what we do? We demean women and we disrespect women by having such a low opinion of them that the behavior of a few men would stop them from doing something that they enjoy. You don't think women are smart enough or tough enough to decide for themselves whether or not they want to they enjoy poker. You think they're going to let the treatment of men or the marketing or whatever of it stopped them from enjoying the game or making a living from it. I don't buy that for a second. It doesn't make no sense whatsoever. So what can, what can be done? I mean, like I said, you know, uh, I think ladies tournaments are good. I think they're a good thing. I think it's a, you know, women having the freedom and the right to sort of play amongst themselves is freedom, you know, and they don't want a bunch of dudes. They want to talk about women's stuff. That's fine. I don't have a problem. I think women, ladies events can be good.
0: Um, I, I love the say. I think you're exactly right. Like it doesn't necessarily. It's just one of those things. Like not everything needs to be equal. Title IX and the, and in college sports. Right. Well, I was going to say. I think the one. There's a couple of things you can do. And I came up with these ad ideas for freaking stars for years, and they just never listened.
1: But in order, in order to bring in women, um, there are women like that are in, you know lawyers, you know in, in the medical field who are really engaged in competition and challenge or whatever. Like Maria Konakova, who wrote the book. Right. Perfect example. Marketing someone like her uh, as, a, as someone who's a champion in her own field as a writer or a lawyer or whatever, um, showing them like the Vanessa Selps of the world that, um, you know, the, you know, something like that can be done. I don't think that uh, I don't I just don't think that what people are trying to suggest is that like if you took this out, like I think there was one time where at the at WPT at the Commerce or whatever, they had like this food display and there was a woman. Laying on the table with sushi on her, which is a thing. I don't know why people like that or whatever. People were like outraged. Oh, this is why women don't play in poker. No, it's not. No, not one fucking woman. Not one fucking woman says, oh, that woman had sushi on her tits. And she was at a poker event. I'm not associating myself with this stuff. It's
0: complete hogwash and bullshit. It's just bullshit. That's, 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 that's I mean, I'm, I'm with you completely. I think... Uh... It's it's really that's a great point. and And I think that, um, you know, again, it'd be cool to see more, but not not going to really it just. You know how you
1: get more women to play poker? If more women like to play poker, if more women like to play poker, more women will play poker. If more women have disposable income at the same rate as men, more women will play poker. And, you know, so so fix that, you know, get the gender pay gap fixed and you're going to see more women in poker. That would probably be the number one thing is, is the gender is the uh, the gender pay gap. I think that's probably like issue number one. Fix that. You have more women in poker.
0: For sure. Uh, we saw, we answered this a bit already about, we talked about Daniel's time at stars. Did you enjoy your battle with Doug? Would you say like, in terms of yeah. enjoyable, was the process, was it, was it fun to go through the whole thing and the study, the, 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 the whole thing was it was very it- much. I love
1: it. Yeah. I'm i I've always been a competitive person and I soak information in very, very quickly. And uh, it was, the whole process was fun. You know, it was engaging. Um, obviously the result again, like I, I focus in this. I, every time I set a goal or do something like that, I really get my joy, not from finishing it, but from the journey of doing it, from the everyday process of like learning and downloading new information and then trying things out. So it was definitely a lot of fun. When it was over for me, like when the match was over, boom, chapter was like I was done. I'm Chapter (laughs) closed. I'm on to chess. The very next day, I started grinding chess to play in this chess tournament that I was playing in PogChamps.
0: I love it. One to 100. How well do you think the Doug poke challenge went if you were to say out of a hundred times you ran it where does that fall just like an end result kind of like bang, whatever just like what, what number comes to mind one to a hundred well, in terms of like the eyeballs on it you know the interest
1: you know the relationship the way that it's uh, adjusted for him and i all those are pluses as far as like the results in terms of financial monetary like how i ran i feel like i ran very poorly i thought like again like i said um it's very it's a very difficult thing to measure right yeah. When you think about luck, like, well, how do you measure luck, right? Because you can't just say all NEV is the only thing, right? I mean, I was like 260K low in all EV. That doesn't mean any. That's just one aspect of luck. There's a whole bunch right. of things. But I can tell you, after 20 years of experience, I could tell you, I could feel like how often in three and four bit pots where I had a knockout punch ready, you know, like with the 10 jack, queen, king, and the four hearts, and ended up with queen high. Like, it happened such an inordinate amount of time to me that it, it felt spooky, right? To me. Again, this isn't nothing related to whether or not if, the, if I would have hit those hands, I'm going to win the match. But I genuinely felt with my 20 years of experience that in the key crucial spots. So here's the thing. Like if you look at data and you say, all right, well, look, you make flushes at a normal rate. You know, you're supposed to hit this many flushes. You know, all right. But like in what spots? Right. right you yeah. make your flushes when there's like nothing in the pot and it's like, a you know, open and a call. What about in the four bed pots? In the three bed pot? In the pots where, you know, like, you know, like we'll say when you make it, does he have nothing? Like how often, like when, from a cooler perspective, did you have like, you know, king high flush against queen high flush? Right. Like stuff like that. Like, it's not just a question of like- how often This is kind I of
0: my it. question earlier about variance and understanding, because this is very hard and you can take statistics and make it look however, but really, you know, underlying, it's just, it's hard even to know, Like right? Even if you could look at it, to take it all and, and and really find the right answer. So I guess that's that's kind of I guess like that's my I'm just saying a number that comes to mind, you know, in terms of take variance equation whatever, 1 to 100 and ter- forget the like all the other benefit cuz I personally believe too, you know, that no matter what like this is something assuming you're playing the same volume of 25k's, 100k's, high high buy-ins in the future, this is probably going to be a tremendous amount of value for you when you're ha- when you're three-handed. Oh yeah. yeah. Out, you know, like you are going to be a financial
1: perspective, up. from yeah. a financial perspective, like I didn't really I didn't have side bets really, you know, and I do yeah. on this match with Phil Hellmuth. So like I expect to get recuperate my losses very quickly <laughs> from the match because I do expect to beat Phil. And as you said, I've just improved immensely as a player. So, you know, when things when COVID is over and I'm back to playing at the live tables, the World Series of Poker and whatnot, it just it's allowed me to think about poker at a much higher level and dissect hands. And it's, it's added it's maybe tougher to play against for sure, right. because my, my 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 ranges are going to be a lot more balanced now. Um, And again, I haven't been working on tournaments or like ring game, but when you work on heads up, there's nowhere to hide.
0: So it's very easy to extrapolate the information that you learn in heads up to playing, you know, uh, a ring game. And and how, how, how applicable do you think it will be? Not only just obviously heads up, right? When you're playing heads up for, for tournaments and titles and the money, there's so much money between first and second, but do you think other areas of your game, where do you think it would be the most benefit from, you know, shorthanded or different, different principles? I would say there's one thing. If you're a tournament player and you've been a tournament player as long as I
1: live, as long as I have, one of the emotions that you have to sort of like learn to have a new relationship with is bluffing off your chips and getting caught, right? As a tournament player, that's like the worst feeling ever. Like for a lot of guys from the old school who, you know, played this kind of small ballish style or whatever, like the idea of just bluffing for me anyway, I know guys like help me or whatever. So adjusting my relationship with just being like, you know what, this is a spot where I'm just supposed to bluff. If he calls, so what? Right. Instead of fuck, I mean, I don't want to lose this pot. Like if I bluff this off, I'm going to be like, why would I, why would I waste it? I'll wait for a better spot. Instead of this is the correct play, just make it. So my relationship with, you know, barreling and bluffing in big spots has definitely been altered. Because you have to when you play heads up, you got to bluff a lot, right? The time.
0: So. And actually, that's something that's very interesting. And I feel this way too sometimes, or just like I, you know, I have the propensity to not go for it in certain spots, or, or you know, like sort of the, the the game of like, oh, like I feel like he's doing this, or he's more stickier. This happened. Is it just kind of have you found a way to just sort of take the governor off and like, all right, I have this blocker in this spot. This is how the action went. I have to unload here. Forget about like how, you know the the flow of the game. Like is that yeah? Like you know, really? so, there's like a spot. Say for example, when I'm playing dub, right? Mm-hmm. There's a hand
1: on the river where I have six high and it's just a hand I'm supposed to bluff with. I'm yeah. like, well, he's probably going to call me, but whatever you just make, you get, you make the bet and you shrug. And it's like, I learned to be okay with that. You know, where I'm like, all right, well, I have five high. I have to be bluffing a specific part of my range. This is a good hand to do that with. So do it. And you make the bluff. Sometimes it works, you know, you feel good, but what you learn, what you got to learn is like to not feel bad when it doesn't. Cause that's the, if you start getting to that point, now you're playing scared and now you're not going to be balanced and you're not going to have enough bluffs in your range. And then your opponents are going to have an easier time against
0: you. For sure. As I flash up on the screen here, 42 million in lifetime earnings. Do have that one drop, $8 million. I believe it was second to Dan Coleman in 14 uh, for for that massive score there. But still pretty crazy, 42 million with 8 million being the largest. Uh, Third all-time money list. Do you have aspirations to... You know, I know, actually, I remember when they unveiled that playground poker in Canada when Antonio was the number one and you passed him and they actually did a presentation and I heard Antonio, he was there watching it and they (laughs) they put you as number one. You are in reach. Antonio now, he's got, you know multiple, multiple children. He's, you know, number 16. It feels like a, a decade ago. I think he's number 16 or 15 actually all time. And you're number three and you have a, a decent lead over fourth with Mr. Seidel, Dan Smith hovering around. And then you look up and 10 million to Bonomo and, and Brent obviously having that Triton major. Is that something, is that, is that something that motivates you to be number one again? Or you were number one and you realize the high rollers are a different deal now. Wh- what, what does that mean to you? And, and is that important?
1: Yeah, absolutely not. I spent most of my career, most of my career, Number one on the all-time money list, right? Then sort of, yeah, I wouldn't say corrupted, but you know, the list got the list changed, right? When you start adding like million dollar buy-ins in this circuit, like I'm 46 now, I just remember that. Um, I don't know, I don't want to travel all the time and be on the road and playing all these things. So here's what people don't get. Let's say, for example, you see, you know, John Smith cash for 4.2 million. Pretty good, right? Wow, that's a good year, 4.2 million. Mm-hmm. He spent 6.2 million in, in million in buy-ins. Right. Another tricky
0: thing. Another tricky well, thing. Is- so
1: now, so basically if you play the circuit and you're even competent, you're going to, if you're even competent, you know, the way that it was, you're going to cash for 4 million a year. Right. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're even making money doing that. So for me, the list, I like the list obviously, because I'm still number one on it, but there is a list that excludes all the high buying ones.
0: Yeah. I saw I that. Think that yeah.
1: case. I'm number one on that list. And I think that's one that I'll stay number one because the world series of poker and stuff like that. Um, but again, like, what's to stop, Jeff? 10, you know, Silicon Valley guys saying we're going to have a $100 million tournament, okay? $100 million is the buy-in. Forget okay. it. 3000000 million, 4 million, $5 million. Let's well, just say $100, 100, 100 for, 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 right. for million. So they away. get 15 people together. They have an event. They televise it. It counts, right? So now the winner is the all-time money leader. His name is David Sachs or David Einhorn <laughs> or Chmacka. <Tron laughs> like, so I don't know, like you, you get what I mean, right? It's sort of like it because That's the numbers are so astute, but it was sort of true when I came on too. Because before me on that list, you would had guys like TJ Kluche, Miami John Fernudo, John Benetti, and these guys were grinding three hundred dollar, five hundred dollar, two hundred dollar, one thousand dollar mine tournaments and won ten K a year. Okay, that was what the you know the tournament circuit looked like. Mm-hmm. Then I come along, you know, in two you know late nineties, early two thousands. All of a sudden, you got ten Ks. So now I'm posting like. 4 million win in a year in 2004. That's huge. Right. Yes. So I shoot up the list. Um, but again, it's just a progression of the dollar amount. Right. And now it's so astronomical that um, I mean, sure I could, I don't, do I really want to go grind all these tournaments all over the world? No, I, my goal in my life was to get to a place where I have the life that I have. So I don't have to go anywhere.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, that's true. And, and speaking of high rollers, Triton, they keep pushing that envelope. We saw the million, pound you didn't go to the triton uh is that something you know again make traveling the port of, uh, the time of your career just where you were at the Triton, obviously it's gotten ridiculous numbers and really seemed like very high value production which we know it is high value events do you have any you know there's not a lot of those either they do a you know four a year some cool stops cool places is triton on your horizon have you ever played any triton and will you play any triton moving forward
1: you know i wa- I, I remember having so much fomo when i watched the the yeah. one day. <laughs> Like I was like, I was betting, I had bets because there was a guy who was booking all the bets. So I was watching it live, you know, and I was like, this this is fascinating, but I'm like, I really want to be there. You know, I want to be in this tournament. And I remember thinking like, I'd never miss it again. Um, And I ended up doing commentary for it uh, in post with Ali Najad because, you know, I found it really, really fascinating. But no, I think Trident does a lot of really good things. I'd like to go play. Uh, That one was just right after World Series of Poker. And I'm like, man, I need a break after that. So I was like, I'm not going nowhere. I didn't want to do the schmoozing of getting a businessman to pick me and all that kind of stuff with the format. But I think everything they do there is really, really smart. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely good for poker what they do.
0: Yeah, I love Triton and, and a very, very uh, strong brand. And, and hopefully, you know, that'll that's one of the ones, too, that it feels like it's going to come back sooner and later. I don't know the exact dates yet, but that just it's a little more controllable. It's not, you know, a million-dollar guarantee with 5K buy-ins or, you know, 5 or 10 mil. They can just have their 20, 30, 50 Person fields uh, COVID. There's vaccine now. It does feel like it's coming back uh, again. Daniel, I'm not going to cut you off. So why don't you last question? Me? Oh shit! All right, I was hoping we get at least at least nah. two, but all right, we'll take we'll take one, and we do have to queue up the giveaway. Uh, actually, I'm going to take it from Twitch here in the chat because my man says he doesn't have Twitter. Uh, well, you're not going to eligible for the giveaway, but let's go ahead and ask that. Uh, guys giving you a big compliment first of all i'd like to say i grew up watching in the big game and your videos on pod uh pod odds etc it earned me enough money to keep me in bars with no job younger years my question to you is what is your fondest moment of early success what tournament or moment or cash game what was your moment that stands out to you still to this day maybe situationally because that eight million dollar score or not the most money what what a first world series but i said what is your fondest moment in your career
1: 1998 first world series of poker event i'd ever entered i played tournaments I won three straight stops at the Orleans, uh, at, in LA, at the LA Poker Classic, at the Rio. I won three straight stops and I went at the World Series of Poker. The buy-ins were big then compared to my bankroll. The buy-ins were like 50, 2,000 minimum. There was no $400 buy-in World Series events. But I'm like, I got to play this one. I won a satellite against Todd Runson and Mike Matissell, three-handed. And I was just going to keep the money. Todd threw me the $500 chip and says, I'll take a piece to you tomorrow. I said, really? What, well, you think I'm good enough to play in this thing? So I was like, okay, I played it. And I remember... Back in those, it was Chris Ferguson was in that one. Alan Cunningham was in that one. Uh, I remember my first table was crazy. It was like all the big names. Eric Seidel, Johnny Chan, Humberto Brenes, um, you know, all of them at my table. And I remember feeling like, you know, early on, I'm like, I can hang with these guys. So now I squeak into the money and I'm super happy. Before I know it, Dan Heimiller bluffs it off to me with two tables to go. I bust him. Now I'm at the final table. And pot limit hold him too. And I never played pot limit. I only played no limit or limit. I don't know what the hell's going on. So now all of a sudden I find myself heads up. For a bracelet, my very first attempt against a guy named Dominic Bork, who was way better than me, okay? I mean, I didn't know the game or whatever. Wow. And uh, the final hand was just such a doozy because it came queen-jack three, two clubs, one heart. And I had the ace-queen of hearts, and he had the jack-ten of clubs. So he has middle pair, three straight flush draw. I have top pair backdoor flush draw. We get it all in on the flop. Turn card is a black four or something like that. And the river card, it's like a black six, and I don't know if it's a club or a spade. I'm, I'm in, like, delusion. Like this. And I look at the crowd and I, Jennifer Harmon was in there and I knew she was cheering for me because uh, she was at the time Todd's girlfriend and she was there to collect the piece because they didn't know who this Daniel Niagara guy was. And right. I remember her putting her arms in the air and like everyone else cheering. And I was like, I must have just won, you know? And so that was definitely the moment. Like I go from a bankroll of 2200 to like 180,000 in 1998. Wow. So that was a good day.
0: Yeah. That was it right here, this one, the 169K, uh, 229 entries. Very very, very, very sick. I mean, do you ever find yourself looking through the Hendon Mob? Do you scroll through? It's pretty crazy. I mean, you have so many caches, so many runs, so many probably seconds and thirds in World Series bracelets. Helms has so many as well, which I'll tell you, uh, do you. Do you have, like, is there any more? How many, like, realistically, with your six World Series bracelets, I believe, like, what do you think? Is that is that about right with variants, or do you think you could easily have 10 or 15 at this point?
1: Well, think about it. I've got six firsts, and I think I've got, like, Freaking twelve or thirteen seconds. So my record has been really, really bad. So one of the things I'm probably most disappointed about with my World Series record is being at six bracelets. I won the very first one I ever could, and then I didn't win another one until 2003 uh, in a hose event. So yeah, I'm definitely disappointed with the number of second places, especially in the last four years. The number of second places I've had is inordinate. It's been an insane number. So I've done pretty really poorly in those spots. So. Hoping that switches again. But you know, early in my career, the first eight final tables I played, I won all eight. Didn't like no fifths, no sixths, first every time. So I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's true. Like when you're young you just you just win, and you get older. You run back. Oh, no,
0: that's well, true. yeah, maybe, and also, if, you know, maybe that dog, like the, the the training, and with MJ and, and your other coach, maybe that, you know, it's it's good timing. Hopefully, uh, in the future, the WSOPs and and it'll show. And I think people there'll probably be some be intimidation factor as well on the heads ups People are going to know that you are fully fun. in the mix. All right, we're gonna cut. We're gonna do this last. I just I copied pasted. We're gonna paste, and you tell me when someone's going to hundred dollars in BTC. Oops, hit the wrong button. Look at that. Trying to go fast. So here we go. We'll confirm this. And then you're going to tell me. Let me get this created. There's a lot of people. I think 150. So the odds aren't amazing, but you know, 164 eligible people for this hundred dollars plus the fifty-five dollar ticket. Daniel, I'm gonna let you tell me when after this loads up, and then we're gonna uh, we're gonna choose winner. You tell me when. All right. I just say when. You could, do however, you want to do it. You could dance. You could, you could do a thing. You could do whatever you want. I'm going to say when now. Yeah. Boom! There it is. Choose the winner. We got a hundred dollars in BTC plus a fifty-five dollar ticket. A lot of entrance, and there it is. And we got a bot. I think. Well, no, someone didn't didn't follow instructions. I'm going to go ahead and message her on the side. Look at this. Females in poker, Daniel. Energy is powerful. We know about energy. We got a female winner for $100, uh, $100 in BTC plus 55. And, and look at that. Congrats, Silvina Beatriz Ramirez. There it is. She's gonna get the message. We're gonna go and let you run, man. Thank you so much for the time, Daniel. This was our second time doing the podcast. Hopefully, not our last. Good luck, first Phil. I will be tuning in. And again, if you guys want to wager, there are some some good spots to do it. And I showed you a site. You want to see it, Daniel? I gotta like you at that that price. That just seems generous. I want so. to go for a walk. So I'm gonna take them. Awesome. man. Thank you so much, guys. All right, that's Daniel Negreanu, number one twenty-five in the books. I got Haymonia from Team Party Online tomorrow, one twenty-six. Peter Jennings we're gonna have number one twenty seven on Friday. Daniel, thank you, man. You can, you can run walk your dog, Rocky, Apollo, to Say hi to Amanda. Thank you again for, for being here. Yep. I really appreciate it. I got it. Guys, Daniel Negreanu. And again, tomorrow we will be live 1 PM on Twitch. We're going to move this over instead of doing it on YouTube. I think it's better that way. Uh, I don't know why we weren't doing it this way before, but it's just, kind of how it is. And and we are going to be we're gonna be having some fun with a lot of podcasts, a lot of special guests, a lot of content, got a DFS sweat up on state kings right now. If you guys want some action, you can go there. Let me see if I can go ahead and pull that up. Because uh, it is uh, it is fun. I, I hit a I hit my biggest fate in the C score ever. It was like 80k two weeks ago. And I just decided someone was asking, why don't you post some action on on it. So me and my buddy, we have uh, we kind of put these lineups together and I just put in 100 in, I'm sorry, 150, the max of $20, 1 million to first, which is going to be fun, about 150,000 entries and also the 888 with three entries. So that is on the uh, exclamation stake Kings. If you want the action on stake stars, I got to make sure I message our winner here, the ticket, but I also want to show you in stake stars. If you guys want to bet on that, actually the opposite of some other popular sites where you can uh, bet where daniel has his list as the underdog here which i don't believe is is correct and uh, i think 500 max bet so if you guys want to wager that is there uh again thank you so much to daniel thanks so much for all you being here i hope you enjoyed sorry if i didn't get your questions uh qm raffle us let me shout out a few people here uh g hilly in the house i see captain cannon we got your question in there Freak, freaky Deaky 14s in the house. Flintwoods Word. Thank you for joining me. Aaron 012 and 2. I saw Bernsey in the house. Pappy Van Winkle. Thank you so much for the sub, guys. I don't have my alerts up on Twitch. I'll have to add that next time. And again, I'm not going to be shouting out stuff during the podcast, uh, but I do think it's better to have it here on Twitch. That's that's our home. That's where we love to be. We're going to be doing that. Thank you guys so much. I'll shout out a few more people. Then we're going to see you tomorrow at 1 p.m. We got Pro Luke. Pro Ludic 001 in the house, Cat's Coffee, Poker, Batman Winkle Legend. Thank you, bro. Appreciate you, Poker Pro Eric, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Separation, anxiety, South Dodgies. We'll see you tomorrow uh, with Heymonia. Get your questions in and we do. I just can't quit you guys. I honestly have a problem. It's just I can't do it, but let's see right here. We're going to pin this tweet. This is haymonia number 126. Come tomorrow. And I do have a $123 giveaway still pending, still pending for the 123rd guest. If you want to guess who you think that guest is going to be. And we it's going to be recorded. It's going to be released later, even though we're on 126 tomorrow. That is uh, 123. That is a, a tweet still eligible for $123 in BTC. So appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Ghost of M, Badron, all the boys coming in. Thank you guys. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Appreciate Daniel's time. See you very soon. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.